You're very welcome to the gardening program here on Midwest Radio. Saturday morning, we're on the 13th of April. The month is clicking along, Pori. Good morning good to morning, you. Good morning, Isn't it just? Yes. Yeah, I was even just thinking that this morning. It's it's. Well, let's week is Easter. Easter, yeah. 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 So, you know, summer is on its way, definitely, definitely. And we've got lots of summer focus on the programme this have. morning. I, th- I thought we just, you know, gardening is all, all about that kind of forward planning. What we, what we sow today, we reap during the, the summer or autumn periods. And we're really coming into that time of year of summer planting. So, you know, things like your, your window boxes, your hanging baskets, your planted containers. Pla- thinking about colour for June, July, August, if you have family events on or special occasions or just have a blast of colour during the summer. Now is the time of year for thinking and doing something about that. So the planting of particularly of hanging baskets, window boxes, patio planters, containers with summer flowering plants should be done at this time of year. So you'll see in your local garden centre they've got the petunias and all the, the, the various training plants, bacopa, uh, training lobelias, all of those sort of plants are available at the moment. So if you've got a protected area, a greenhouse, a tunnel, a, a, a warm windowsill indoors, somewhere bright and cheery, then this is the time of year to start planting up your window boxes. And generally I advise, if it's a hanging basket, say a 16-inch hanging basket, you want to be putting in at least, you know, 15 to maybe 20 plants. You want to pack them in well because that little bit of competition between the plants makes them flower better. But getting a head start is always very advisable. Another little tip, when you are planting up your containers, pinch back the growing points. So all the shoots on the outer edge of the, the little baby petunias or or fuchsias or whatever, pinch those back because that increases the number of branches you get from the plant and thus more mm. colour. Doubles or trebles the amount of flower that you can get from plants. So this is the time of year to start thinking about. Now there's still plenty of time, right through April and into early May, you can be planting up your containers, but kind of don't leave it too late. So that early start, particularly if you've got that protective area, um, a greenhouse tunnel, conservatory type room, a patio, or just a warm windowsill somewhere, you can start that process off. Easter, of course, is coming around the corner. Oh, well, this next weekend, yeah. it's, it's here, yeah. So again, for if you need a little bit of colour for Easter and you want to kind of plant up a couple of containers with some hardy plants, there are plants like the osteospernums that have just come into flower. They come in shades of yellow, which would be lovely for Easter, but also shades of purples and pinks and whites. Um, and they're just on the point of opening. The flower is just opening now and they're perfectly hardy outside this time of year. The summer pansies, of course, are giving lovely colour at the moment. A lovely co- plant called the slipper flower, oh. Calceolaria. Calceolaria, the slipper flower. That's I should not, have, I should that's have brought, not ringing any bells. I should do, have brought one in. Next week, I'll bring one okay. in. So the, the calceolaria or slipper plant, the flowers are very similar to small balloons. So they're air-filled flowers. I've got you intrigued already. I'm all, yeah, you can, sorry. I know this is radio, so you can't see my face. I am fully intrigued. So I will bring in next week, a, uh, they come in shades of yellow and shades of red. They're they're flowering at the moment. It is a perennial plant that comes back year after year. It's Excellent. a little herbaceous plant. My favourite plant. kind. But a lovely, a lovely little thing just to add to pots and containers for a bit of Easter colour. Um, but there's lots of really plants like violas are still in flower. The lovely primulas are still in flower. Forget-me-nots are blooming away. The perennial wallflowers are flowering at the moment and they're all perfectly cold and wind and frost hardy to put out now for a bit of colour for Easter in particular. Now, speaking of Easter, Mm -hmm. next 
the 20th of April, which, which is, is next, next Saturday. Because Easter Sunday, I know, is 21st. There you go. <laughs> so next Saturday, the 20th of April, um, we've got an Easter fun day in the Garden Centre in Turlock. We do it every year. It's kind of a fun day for children. It's a free day, um, but you do need to book a space. So if you're looking for somewhere to bring the children next Saturday for an Easter fun day, we'll have the Easter bunny rabbit there. We'll have lots of eggs, of course, chocolate eggs uh, for the children and little treasure hunts and colouring competitions and face painting and all those Sounds sort of activities. Like a lot of fun. So it's a free day in Hawkins um, next Saturday, the 20th of April. If you want to book a spot, the number is 094-90-314-35. So 90-314-35. Remember, it's a free event. It's, it's kicking off next Saturday, the 20th of April and uh, places are filling up, but I just said I'd mention it today. Absolutely. Okay, so just to be aware that you do you do need to book You do need advance. to book, yeah, if you think. So it's next Saturday, it's a free day. So they have the Easter Bunny uh, will be there. He'll bring the guys on little treasure hunts and colouring competitions and a day nothing, out. Yeah, a day out for the a, kids. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it myself. <laughs> <laughs> Bunny so, ears on and everything. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so that's next Saturday. Next Saturday. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. And uh, I know schools obviously uh, kind of got their Easter break yesterday, I think, in most areas anyway. And you were out and about uh, with I was, one of, I uh, was with a school. And your part of the country, I was up in Balladrine in County Roscommon to a lovely rural school called Brosna I, I do know school. it. I was at that school, I would say, about 12 or 13 years ago. And it's a lovely little school. Absolutely beautiful. Mm. Typical of, of the, the rural schools in Ireland, kind of 50 children. Um, the teachers were absolutely fantastic and you know it's only I went out to plant up the veggie pot so they got a grant I, I believe from Roscommon County Council to purchase a, uh, a growing kit so they purchased a veggie pot so I went out for the fun to, to get involved in, in putting it together with the kids but also in planting up and I have to say a shout out as soon as I started planting this little hand went up mm-hmm. and this little chap said and he was persistent and I, I had to stop and say yep yeah, he's got a question for me he says do you know my granddad Pash he's a great gardener so I said to him, Brilliant. I didn't know him, but we'd have to get him onto the programme. But the innocence of children in planting up the veggie pods. So we planted it up with things like strawberries and all the their five a day, salad crops, lettuce that would come and come, garden peas, we sowed them from seed, carrots from seed, we planted some from plants as well, and all the sensory herbs as well. Um, and they're brilliant, particularly for children that might have any sensory issues. The, the herbs are fantastic because they're so tactile mm. and the scents are fantastic as well. So there were 50 children in the school and we planted 50 plants in the large veggie one, pot. One for each person. <laughs> one for each person. Fantastic. So that that went very well um, and, and a million thanks to the for the hospitality from the teachers from Avril okay. and all the, the team there. But a lovely school and we'll go back maybe in a month's time and just see how everything is is going it's, along. Yeah. And, uh, and it'd be lovely to hear from Grandad Pat as well maybe. Exactly, to yeah. see how if he's can, getting on and get some advice <laughs> and tips from him as well. So look, it was a, it was a lovely day out. It is the Lots of kids are off at this time of year um, and it's a great time. Remember that you know the sowing of seeds have brought in things like the sunflower seeds. There's a lovely variety called giraffe which grows 17 feet in height. Isn't that hard to believe? Look, yeah, <laughs> wow, that is huge. So if you want to get your children kind of gardening over Easter, the seeds are a great way to do that. Little seeds, sunflowers in particular because the seeds are so large. Yes. You sow them inside on a windowsill, you cover them with cling film and within five or six days they've germinated and they start to grow and you know the way sunflowers grow they grow so fast they can be planted out of doors then in June other varieties there's another one called Russian Giant which is another really big one if you want a really big heavy flower the size of a dinner plate there's a lovely one called Full Sun and believe it or not there's actually a red sunflower this one 
because we, we tend to, we tend to associate sunflowers as being well, I suppose, predominantly yellow anyway. Predominantly yellow scent with the with the black centre, but this is a, a full scarlet red variety. Stunning. Yeah, it's one called Ruby Sunset, and again, it grows to about you know three to four feet. This particular one, it's not too big, uh, but lovely as well. And remember with sunflowers that when the flower fades, they produce the sunflower seed, and the birds then come and feed on those. So it's a lovely project for children to do, but also for schools maybe to consider. I brought you some edible pla- flowers as well. So things like nasturtiums, nasturtiums. and violas. There's lots of edible uh, flowers that children can sow as well at this time of year. So it's a great time of year for planting up. And look, get them out there and get them planting yeah. their five a day. I was actually amazed in the school of 50, there was probably at least 10 or 15 children that said they grow vegetables of some sort at, at home. home. Yeah, some it's for their bunny rabbits, some for their thing. But it's amazing. I was actually pleasantly surprised how many kids. And even within the school, now, Bosnia National School have been awarded seven green flag uh, for environmental projects that they've completed, which is so they're, absolutely... So they're obviously very they, focused on they, things They like certainly that. embrace it, but you could see it within the classroom as well. I was called down to give some advice on their <laughs> little baby petunias that they had sown in Wellingtons, kids' Wellingtons. Oh, fantastic. And things like carrots that were sown in trays and, and bits and pieces that they had simply growing on the windowsill and all the kids So were. they were a little bit ahead of themselves already. I mean, certainly. so the veggie pot is really going to benefit them altogether. Well, lots of those can be transplanted back out into the veggie pot. I remember with the veggie pot, it's not just edibles. You can grow some flowers in it if you want as well. Edible flowers if you wish. You can do a whole mishmash because there's a whole foot of soil depth within the bed. So it's it's uh, very versatile. On the sunflower front there, just yeah. a very quick question in relation to giant, not yeah. being uh, anywhere near giraffe. a giant myself or giraffe. Um, does, does the sunflower of that nature now, so those things that can get up to 17 feet tall, will they need support? So of course growing? they will. Okay. They're going to need some... <laughs> Stupid uh, question, now, perhaps. But it, it says 17 feet on the packet. Right. Of course, that's that. it was it was grown to that height. But, yeah. you know, typically it's, it in might a garden, not go, it might go to say, 10 yeah, or 12 Still feet. very tall. Yeah, but yeah. they do. They need a good stiff bamboo cane initially when they're starting to grow. And then as the stem starts to thicken, it will get stronger. But you need a sheltered, bright, sunny location. But there are literally hundreds of different varieties of um, sunflowers, Deirdre. So, I mean, literally from a, from a foot tall up to 17 feet and all sorts of colours. Uh, but just an interesting little project. It's more about getting the children to start growing things themselves inside and just yeah. giving it a go, trying things out. Okay, lots of, lots of options there. Yep. I, I have to say, I love sunflowers myself. I'm going to work probably slightly in reverse here. Um, I have a bank with a lot of water springs in it. What all-season shrub ground coverage plant can I put down to cover the area? It's a large area, says Claire. Okay, well, first of all, what Claire should do is make sure there's no weeds on the on the bank. So clean off the bed, first of all. So you don't want any scotch or any other perennial weeds coming up through any plants you're going to pl- plant. Second principle when planting banks is to plant in clusters of the same variety. So if you were using something, say like, there's a lovely plant called Lanisera pileata, which is a ground-covering honeysuckle. Um, so it grows in height about two feet, but spreads up to four feet in diameter. Okay. And when planted in groups of trees and fives, they form one large cluster of evergreen foliage so it suppresses any weeds it covers the area and it would do really well in a bank like this mm. Cianotus repens is another plant Californian lilac which again is a ground covering plant 
and will spread again six feet in diameter. But again, you plant in groups of threes or fives to get that carpet effect. So plants like hostas would look, love the kind of spring, the wetter areas of, of um, where Clare has the bank. So again, groups of hostas, maybe five, sevens, you know, groups of nines it's a very, if it's a very big area. So my advice really, maybe take a picture of the bank bring it into your local garden centre or bring it in, in into one of the stores and we'll have a look at it specifically mm. and be able to advise. But there's a whole range of ground covering, ground covering geraniums. These are plants that come back year after year. They spread across the ground, they stay low. And if planted in clusters, threes, fives or sevens, they tend to suppress the weeds. But it's very important to start with the ground clean so that there's no weeds there. So I would use something like the Weed Free 360 on that area first. Do that today and then you're good to plant the following, say for Easter weekend, and put the plants in in clusters of, as I say, three fives. You can also underplant the bank then in autumn with spring flowering bulbs. So things like dwarf daffodils, uh, crocuses, um, dog tooth violets, those sort of plants that come back year after year and that would help to kind of add a little bit of additional colour to the bed mm. and, and the bank. So it's a mixture of ground covering plants, really, and planting them in clusters. So you get that kind of Persian carpet effect. Right, which is beautiful. The fact that that particular bank has a lot of water springs in it, is, does that ec- well, deserve extra consideration well, in any absolutely. respect? In the areas, yeah. the springs will be coming up. So it, I, I would imagine that there are areas that are quite wet. So again, you'll be bordering, you'll be on, on those specific areas, you'll be planting water-loving plants and, and there are quite a range of those as well. So maybe a photograph just to see exactly how big the, of a space and how everything. How big it yeah. is, what it looks like, what the soil condition is like, where are those springs located and then you can plan in the plants to go around that. But it's it's very doable and, and by planting the plants in the clusters you get that carpet effect and really what you're trying to do is cover the bank completely, have 12 months of colour but also suppressing the weeds. Yeah, because otherwise things look a bit, I suppose, mean almost. They they're, they're lonely. And maybe we, mean is the we, right word. We but. tend to plant, because you visit your local garden centre, you go in with your trolley, you're picking things that you like, generally in ones, and you end up with a garden that's itty bitty. Full of ones, yeah. 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 So I would always ebb on the side of planting, whereas particularly in Holland and parts of Germany and Belgium, they're very much into minimising the, the number of plants that they put in, but maximising the quantity. So if they're planting hydrangeas, they might plant 12 or 15 in a bed, and you get this really impactful show of colour. So they tend to pick long flowering plants, but plant them in groups and you get a far better effect. And the plants nearly grow into one another. So, you know, it doesn't matter if there's a weak one in the middle because everything just looks as if it's one overall large clump of colour. So it's a great way to plant. And it doesn't, that doesn't just pertain to banks and slopes. You can do that in formal beds as well, more group planting. Right. Uh, I bought a pepper and tomato plant uh, in Horkins in small pots. When do I transplant to a bigger pot and do I go one size up and repeat when they get bigger? Well, you could go a couple of sizes. First of all, chilies and peppers, now is the time certainly for, for um, starting them off and planting them and repotting and bringing them on. Remember that they are frost sensitive, so keep them indoors on the windowsill for at least another month. You could move them into generally they're sold in nine centimetre pots which is quite a small pot so I would move them up into maybe a one litre or a 1.5 litre pot so you're moving it up three or four sizes and it'll be perfectly happy in that for another five to six weeks Mm. on your windowsill so when the plants then are about 18 inches two feet high then you can transplant them into a bigger tub so yeah, start them off into a pot, maybe four or five times the size, and then move it into its final pot around the end of May. But do keep them inside, continue to wash them, give them an occasional liquid feed with the tomato feed, 
and they'll be perfectly fine. Now, somebody is wondering about growing black currants and raspberries. Can they be grown in containers and what fertiliser should we use? Okay, well, the answer is yes, you can. Most fruit will grow in tubs and containers, but long term, they're better out in the garden soil because black currants are quite a vigorous and hungry um, and demanding plant. So it's better in the garden soil if you can. But if you must grow them in pots, get yourself something like large half barrels or, or large plastic containers with good drainage, put some stone in the base, a good quality of com- compost and soil mixed together and apply a slow-release fertiliser you get in your local garden centre. Just mix that through the soil when you're planting. Remember, because they're in pots, they're going to need plenty of watering during the growing season and liquid feeding with something like the Osmo liquid feed during the summer period, particularly when the berries are on the plant because they're using copious amounts of water that time of year. Now, they'll live in the pots for maybe five or six years and then you want to think about transplanting them on again. Blueberries do brilliantly in pots. Strawberries do brilliantly in pots. Um, but blackcurrants and raspberries are a little bit more demanding, so you need larger containers for them. But they can certainly, they will certainly flourish in them. Now, what were the kale type Brussels sprouts you mentioned last week? Uh, do I sow them from seeds or plants and are they okay to put out with the frost? I do have a tunnel though to put them into. Okay, well, first of all, all the brassicas. So this was a plant called Petite Posy. You just Petite something, I couldn't remember posy. the last bit. Yeah. So the Posy relates. So it's a cross between a kale and, and a Brussels sprout. So it grows like a Brussels sprout, but rather than producing the balls, the tight ball, leaf balls, it produces a looser kale-like um, uh, leaf in the axle, which is lovely if you stir fry it or it cooks by steaming. So it, it, it's not that typical uh, ball of leaves. It's a looser um, and or, you know, so it's perfect for stir frying, mm. steaming, uh, cook, boiling, whatever. It cooks really, really quickly. And for people that dislike the taste of Brussels sprouts, the uh, petit posy is is um, it's got a sweeter flavour. It's more like kale. It's got that kale-y uh, taste to it. So that's the one. You can plant it out of doors now. Most vegetables you can plant out now. So all your lettuce, all your br- cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, like varieties like hispe or savoy can be planted directly out of doors now. So uh, none, none of those are, you can plant them in the tunnel if you wish or plant them out into the garden or do a bit of both. And also it's the time of year for sowing seeds and plants for all your vegetable plants. Now, I'd love to try growing some sweet tomatoes this year. Okay. I never had a go before. Uh, this, w- uh, What easy types should I try in a pot if possible for my balcony? And what else might be a blast in pots? I'm not sure if that's a blast of colour or a bla- blast of fruit. But uh, Well, yeah, so if you want really good sweet varieties, there's a lovely one called Super Sweet which again forms kind of medium-sized fruit. It's a tall variety. It'll grow four or five feet in height, but fantastic uh, sweet uh, uh, red tomatoes right through the summer. Really nice one and, and a very heavy cropper. Sweet aperitif is another really good one, um, which is which again has is very high in natural sugars and, and a very, very nice variety. Sun gold, if you want something a little bit different. So sun gold is a yellow tomato. Again, maybe one for children to grow. And again, it's quite sweet. It doesn't get too big. Mm -hmm. So any of those three, uh, Gardener's Delight is quite sweet as well. Or Red Profusion. It's one that doesn't need any staking. You simply put it into a pot and it literally fills the pot and there's no pinching out a side shoot. So if you're a beginner gardener, the Red Profusion is a really, really good one. Or Tumbler are good as well. But Super Sweet and Sweet Aperitif are probably the two sweetest 
tomato varieties. And look, there's lots of other vegetables you can grow. The speedy veg that I mentioned. Yes, indeed. Um, lettuce varieties. I was making this point and we've got a great reaction to it from a, a lot of listeners about if you're growing your leaf salads this year, your lettuce or your lamb's um, leaf or any of those lettuce type, leafy type uh, salad crops, just peel the leaves or cut them rather than actually harvesting the plant. And I was teaching the kids in Brosna how to do that. So showing them how to actually peel a lettuce rather than actually cutting the head of it and wasting it. And so we were getting into the whole thing of waste and, you know, and, you know, the little educational pieces that were being thrown in from the teachers on teaching the children, you know, rather than cutting a whole head of lettuce and dumping half of it, just take what you need. And so it's a nice, simple way of, of, um, of teaching them that. So there's lots, most vegetables can be grown in containers. I suppose that's, you know, even the potatoes, I was chatting about those in the beginning of the season, mm. you know, they grow in Well, as it so happens, <laughs> on foot of that, and that, that almost sounds like we contrived the link. But anyway, uh, we didn't. On the first programme this year, um, Kevin is, has sent in a text. You gave Kevin some advice and he was a novice uh, regarding the sowing of early potatoes in bags, including layering. Um, now, Kevin's are sprouting already. He's given them some general fertiliser, wondering how often should he feed them now? What type of feed? And are there any other tips? Okay, well, look, at they're doing brilliantly by the sounds of things. And again, in Brosna School, they had a a bag of potatoes. I think they got it from the Department of Education sitting on the windowsill and the stalks were a foot tall. Okay, and were they sprouted? Were they they planted or just... They were planted. No, they were planted in a... In a a grow bag type thing. It was only a little plastic bag with a little bit of soil. And so my advice to the kids were, if the potatoes, as they come to the surface, which they do, so when you plant a tuber, basically that rots. Okay, that's the food source. And the little baby tubers are produced above that, heading up towards the light. So the thing you have to be careful with potatoes is that as they come to the surface, that you're moulding or adding extra compost. So Kevin should add some more compost into the pots now so that you're excluding the light from the developing tubers. Otherwise, the tubers become poisonous. That's the green potatoes. The green potatoes. So that's what is actually happening. So it's kind of like a chlorophyll type effect or something like that. Yeah, basically, once the tuber comes to to the surface of the soil and receive sunlight, you get that green pigment coming into the tuber and it it becomes poisonous. So potatoes should be all, farmers years ago would talk about Mm. moulding them up, moulding up the potatoes and And that's that's bringing the soil, dragging the soil from the drill up around the stalks so that you're excluding the light and also you're allowing the tubers to root into the the stems as well. So, um, that's okay. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, so, my advice with Kevin is add some extra compost, Kevin, to the to the container. Mm-hmm. Continue to liquid feed, so you can use something like the Osmo liquid feed on the on the. Um, the, the tubers and particularly when they start flowering that's test one or two because they're, they're probably coming up to the stage that they're ready for picking so depending on the variety that Kevin planted um, they'll be ready kind of from about the first or second week of June onwards so keep testing them to, and when they're about the size of an egg uh, or a hen's egg start harvesting them you can actually put your hand in and take you'll out what feel, you want to use yeah. Saw, yeah. you don't have to take the whole crop out you can just take what you want over the, the first couple of weeks of summer so yeah continue to liquid feed continue to water and um, you, you know and uh, yeah so things like simple things like potatoes can be grown and it's not too late if people haven't planted their spuds you can there's a question just that? on that as well as Go it on. happens. Uh, so um, advice, yeah, I was just going to say, is it too late? Obviously not. Advice on prepara- preparing for sowing potatoes. The soil uh, that this person is using is in raised beds. It's from a new site uh, that would not have been farmed for many years. Um, what do they use to enrich it? And also uh, they'd like to sow blueberries and strawberries using the same soil, but in a different raised bed. 
Okay, so first of all, with the potatoes, potatoes like organic matter. So if you can get your hands on some local farmer manure, that'll be fantastic. If it's well rotted, you can dig that into the raised bed. Or you can buy, you can purchase Bordemona, do an excellent composted farmer manure. So you can actually buy a bag, believe it or not, of farmer manure. And we actually used it in the veggie pod. So you literally just open that up, mix it into the soil, plant your, your potatoes. You're going to be putting them in the raised bed, put them down at least a foot under the soil. And then as they start to mature, you're you'll bring up the soil around the base them, but the potatoes will do brilliantly uh, in raised bed. I would advise maybe go for some of the first earlies like Home Guard, Sharps Express, um, Colleen, any of those because you'll have them really early and it'll give you an opportunity of planting something else into the raised bed for uh, late summer autumn use. In terms of the blueberries, mm. with blueberries and something else. Blueberries and strawberries. And strawberries. So in that other bed, now strawberries aren't very hungry feeders and actually too much fertiliser can give you excessive foliage at the expense of fruit. So to be honest with the strawberries, I would just plant them straight into the clean soil. Don't add anything to them. With the blueberries, add some ericaceous feed because they liked uh, 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 lime-free soil. So add some ericaceous compost and ericaceous feed when you're planting them and, and um, you know, dig a nice size hole and mix that in when you're planting them. But both of those will work really well in a raised bed and the potatoes will would be perfect will be as perfect. well. Okay. A yeah. couple of people with problems with leather jackets in the lawn. Well, leather jackets are the, the, the larvae of the daddy long legs and uh, the treatment for that are the nematodes, which again, it's just a little bit cold at the moment for using the nematodes. So leave it maybe on t- for another week to 10 days, wait for the temperatures to warm up. As soon as, as the nematode, the, the weather conditions are ideal for it, I'll mention it on the programme. Okay. So I'd say another week to 10 days, yes. wait for things to... So simply the nematodes, you mix them in water, you apply them over the affected area and they'll kill the leather jackets off. They're kind of organisms. They are. Yeah. That's the word for it. Uh, I've put the zero on the lawn now for a week. Well, right. I cut it before I put the Osmo on it. Yeah, we'll give it a trim. Yeah, you do. I mean, you can literally use, you know how quick the zero works. I mean, it works Very overnight. Very quickly. So yeah, you, I haven't I haven't put the Osmo on myself yet, but well, there you go. the so. weekend is long. <laughs> so yeah, look <laughs> at this. And it needs a cut. <laughs> you, you, well, then give it a trim. Yeah. Give the lawn a trim and uh, put the Osmo on. And like do that today if you can, because the rain is coming tomorrow. So it'd be an ideal time to get on uh, any uh, lawn fertilizer going on now with the rain to follow would be is, is the perfect condition. So yeah, give the lawn a trim and you can put the Osmo on on straight sure. away. You don't have to be waiting for another hour or two. You can get it on straight away. Okay, great stuff. Uh, now, are there any fast climbers to cover an eight foot wall? Maybe something that flowers and better if it, I, I could cut it for flowers for my home. All right. Like you're thinking, can you, ple- can you plant different climbers together? Well, they are, yes, you can. And, and it's often nice to actually have both two or three different varieties working together. So for cut flowers, well, the climbing roses will be lovely. Varieties like Handel, um, Iceberg, which is a beautiful white variety, Dublin Bay, Galway Bay. There's a whole range of different climbing. Albertine is a beautiful, big, flowery, coppery pink um, rose. Very vigorous. It would be brilliant on an eight-foot wall. So Albertine for me would be really good. Iceberg, Handel, um, Dublin Bay or Galway Bay would be lovely. <clears throat> Through those, I would mix some of the sweet pea, the mm-hmm. perennial sweet pea, the one that comes back year after year. It's a variety called pink pearl, if you like pink flowers, or white pearl, if you like the white ones. And they make superb cut flowers because they've quite long stems on those particular varieties. And that's the everlasting sweet pea. So it comes back next year. Again, um, you could use the traditional ordinary sweet pea as well, which would be lovely up through climbing roses. Um, but there's lots of really other good fast climbers like climbing hydrangeas. Um, you've got the evergreen Virginia creeper that holds its leaf 12 months.
buds to here and gets lovely autumn colour. A lovely plant that I like is a plant called Tracheospernum jasminoides, which is a, a, a jasminoides means it smells of jasmine, but it retains its leaf 12 months of the year. And in the autumn, Tracheospernum go a lovely uh, reddish purplish colour but the leaf stays on the plant it's got this leathery foliage so that's a really nice plant as well a plant uh, clematis I have in my own garden which flowered lovely this winter is one called winter beauty and it's an evergreen clematis very vigorous uh, but flowers kind of November, December, January, oh, February. It's just finished Winter flowering. Beauty. Winter Beauty, yeah. And what is it? White. It's a white small bell shaped flower I have it growing up through ivy <clears throat> so the ivy Sounds is there beautiful. in the winter and then the clematis even at these nice nodding white flowers through the so winter period. So you have a little period. bit of green and white going together there. You do, yeah. yeah. And, and it's flowers for quite a long time through the winter because it's colder, the flowers don't go off as quickly. So it's quite a nice one. So that's Clematis Winter Beauty. But look, at there's loads of different climbing plants and yes, you can mix them. Okay, great. Uh, what can I add to soil to grow hydrangea and rhododendron flowers and what flowers to grow in a three-foot border to give some good colour, some high and some low ones? Okay, well, I for the three-foot border, I would go for a range of cottage garden plants. So things like the lupins are lovely at the moment, the foxgloves, uh, peony roses, oh, some of the, you know, yeah. the po- poppies, all of those. I was actually in the OPW up in the um, Victorian Wall Garden on Wednesday okay. and just taking a walk around when I'm in Dublin if people are in Dublin they should pop in there because it's free and the gardeners are there to chat to but they have a fantastic herbaceous border um, with plants that come back old cottage garden plants that come back year after year so catmint was there nipita lavender was there lupins were just growing really strongly the peony roses as I mentioned California poppies um, they did a lovely plant called aremus which um, has spiky long big spiky flowers a bit like a lupin but it's taller. So that would give you some height. Height and also colour. So I, my advice really for your three foot borders, pop into your local garden centre. They'll have lots of, of good cottage garden perennials that come back year after year. I would still plant them in clusters of threes threes or fives to get that clustered effect and um, they look far better and then in the autumn you can always introduce some some of this, the spring flowering bulbs as well in uh, to that or even plant some bulbs now like the nearimes which will flower in July and August of this year if you plant them with your cottage garden mm-hmm. plants but this is the time of year for getting all of those in. into flower. If you think of bloom bloom happens at the end of May the first week of June the lupins are in full flower, the foxgloves are in flower, the geraniums, outdoor hardy geraniums are in full bloom. So if you plant those now, you'll have that colour coming into early summer. Um, there was something else they asked there. Uh, hydrangea, was it? Or the hydrangea, yes. Uh, so hydrangea, remember, people yeah. mix up hydrangeas and rhododendrons. Rhododendrons are coming into flower at this time of year. They need ericaceous or lime-free soil. So when you're planting them in a board or a bed, get a couple of bags of ericaceous compost and some ericaceous feed, mix the two together and put them in. And rhododendrons do brilliantly in pots and containers. So that's one way to grow them. Hydrangeas will grow in any type of soil. But, but they'll change the, colour. Yes, the colour changes depending on the on the uh, your soil type. So if you're living in parts of Akala, Mulrani, your hydrangeas are predominantly deep red or blue because it's acid type soil. Around Castlebar and Ballyhonas and so on, Roscommon, I dare Roscommon, say. Roscommon, I think, are the predominantly pink. pink. So <laughs> so there you go. So you can change the colour from pinks to blue by putting down the hydrangea mm. colourant and this is the time of year to do that. So if you want to change your pink hydrangeas to the lovely blues, get a, a small tub of hydrangea yeah. colourant, shake it around the base of them and that'll colour them. White hydrangeas always stay white. Yes. I had an argument with somebody one day about that. Yeah, they were insisting me that they 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 told me that they would definitely go pink. (laughs) I said, I don't think so. I don't think so. No, no, no. They stay white. But there are varieties like vanilla freeze that start white 
And they do And something. the change to, to, yeah. So freeze means, is it strawberry? Strawberry. <laughs> Phrase, uh, phrase, phrase. Yeah, so yeah. vanilla being white, so so that variety actually changes irrespective or of the raspberry. Soil, actually, yeah. raspberry. It, is, yeah. it is raspberry. Yeah. Um, so so some white hydrangeas, you can get that kind of purple coloration, particularly as the flower matures into the autumn. Uh, Phantom often changes a little bit that way as well. But uh, but yeah. But so the, rather, the, but the traditional pink the hydrangeas are. Are, are pink yep. in, in, in limey soil and would change to blue in acidic soil, but you can change them by putting the hydrangea colourant around the base of them. Right. There yes. was a question in there on, on feeding. Somebody was worrying, wondering about what, what feed to use on general uh, trees and shrubs. Yes. And it's actually a good point because this weekend would be an ideal time. Plants have just kicked into growth now. Um, you see everything beginning to green up lovely. And now is the time to start feeding plants. So if you've got trees and hedges and roses and plants you want to give a bit of energy to mm. that may have got suffered a little bit over the winter, this is the time of year, particularly with the rain coming. So something like the Osmo Pro 6 or a tree and shrub fertiliser around the base of all your hedging trees, shrubs, roses, uh, plants in general. This is the time to feed them. So we feed from April to generally about the middle of June. That's when plants actively grow. So once a month, if you give your, your plants a handful of the Osmore or a tree and shrub feed, you're just bringing them on, encourage them on, getting nice and young growth on the plants. And for things like hedges, they should be trimmed lightly now at this time of year. So trim them first, then put on the feed and you get a lovely surge of new growth. Um, my lupins and roses are walking with green flies. <laughs> <laughs> the new leaves are covered in black flies. What's best to treat them all okay, with? And, and look, at the, this year you're going to see, I've, I've said this a couple of weeks back, it, it's, a, it's a spring for the pests because we have such a mild winter. You're going to see lots of green fly about. Um, so the type of plants to watch out for, lupins in particular, lupins have their own aphid. It's a really big, fat lupin aphid, but you, they'll be on it. All your fruit trees, your gooseberries, blackcurrants, you should check those as well. Um, boxwood, here's one. You know the boxwood, the lovely boxwood mm -hmm. plants that people trim into box balls. Yes, lovely, or lovely shapes. They um, always get a thing called uh, boxwood aphid, which is a white uh, aphid and the young growth has just started now so they're going to be on. If you check your boxwood plants, I guarantee you'll have aphids on them at this time of year mm -hmm. and roses of course need to be treated. So the treatment I would use is one called bug clear. So it's a simple insecticide. You mix it in water, you apply it. If you want to kind of do it organically, there is a bug clear for vegetables, which is 100% safe. And you can use that on your ornamental plants as well. So if you want to treat your roses or whatever with something that's um, very safe to use, the bug clear uh, for vegetables is very good. You can use Rose Rescue as well, which also uh, will control diseases. But do keep an eye out for aphids. They are, there's lots of them about at the moment. Um, put something safe on. The PY spray is very good as well. Um, and a day like today would be ideal. But you've been guaranteed all of the plants I mentioned will have visitors this the, spring. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And prevention is better than cure. So do it now before it becomes a major problem. I know that listener said they're walking. They're which, walking. That yeah, sounds so fairly significant already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah so. Let's talk about cutting back the daffodils. Are we at that yeah. point yet? We, we, we certainly are, yeah. Um, you know, if you can leave them another week, all the better. And, and again, liquid feeding them at this time of year helps to build up the bulbs for 
So for so the, the the rule of thumb is six weeks after flowering. So some varieties flower a bit earlier. Generally, when they start to collapse, yes. when they when they're gone that yellow and the leaves are just beginning to kind of fall over, then you can clear them away and tidy them up. A, a couple of liquid feeds does help to build up the bulbs for next year. And if you want to move daffodils, if you've got them in one spot and you want to transplant them, this is the time to, of the year to do that. Same with tulips. Once they go out of flower, you can lift them and transplant them elsewhere or crocuses or snowdrops. We move them in the green and that's at this time of year. Okay. Uh, but maybe just another week or two on yeah, that Yeah, I think if you can, if you can leave them another week. And can you the take better. the heads off them? Or? You can certainly take the heads yeah. off them. They're the little seed heads and that will help to a certain degree. There's some energy going into producing those seed heads. Right. So you can get a shears or a scissors and just cut them off. I'm just off. thinking from the, you know, just to they, they look up. sad when I they're know. gone to that they point. Do. They yeah. do. Yeah. If you want to tidy them up, you certainly can. But try and leave them another week just because you're trying to plump up the bulb for next year. That's really what we're trying to do. Okay, what time of the year are the salvia plants in shops and how do you look after them? So there's a couple of different varieties of salvia. There's the annual salvia, which is a lovely red and green leaf, red flower and green leaf. Now that plant shouldn't be planted out of doors until June because it's totally frost sensitive. Any sniff of frost will hit the poor old red salvia. So you have plenty of time to plant it in June. So don't be looking for it just yet unless you want to keep it inside. There are the perennial salvias that come back year after year. So there are blue and red varieties that come back um, and they're available in garden centres at the moment and they're safe to plant out of doors. So you have a bit like geraniums. You've got the hardy geraniums that can be put out and, and grow all year round and you've got the sensitive ones that need to be taken in for the winter and, and salvias are in the same family. So the traditional bedding salvia, you plant that around the first of June. I put crocus bulbs in pots. I got lovely blue flowers at Great. first but now they've turned into spider plants. I don't know much about plants. What happens next? Okay, well look at everything is perfectly normal. Crocuses, like all bulbs, once they produce the flower, the stems and the leaves, or the leaves I should say, elongate. They get longer because they're trying to produce as much energy as possible to build up the bulb for next year, a bit like our friends the daffodils. So everything is perfectly fine. I would leave them in the pots until they die back completely, which will be another week or 10 days, and then plant them out somewhere in your garden. Take them out of the pots and put them out maybe in your lawn or plant them under shrubs, low-growing shrubs. So put them somewhere that you want them to flower next year. So everything is perfectly normal. Um, And bulbs are a great way to get people into gardening because they're foolproof. If you put a bulb upside down or twist it on the side, it'll still grow and still grow. And people get that sense of success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of bulbs, how do we keep amaryllis bulbs after flowering? Okay, so amaryllis is the indoor bulb. I think we have we may have talked about this last week. It looks like a mini turnip. It produces these fantastic, big, beautiful flowers, trumpet-shaped flowers. Once they go out, out of flower, you feed it and grow it on for a month, mm-hmm. build up the energy of the bulb, and then stop watering it. Let it dry completely. Take it out of its compost about the late May, first week of June, and just leave it somewhere in a... In a a paper bag for the winter so you can store it in your garage or your shed or whatever and repot it then in September of next year and start the whole process again. Now my two forest flame shrubs had flowered earlier but got burned black with last weekend's frost. Should I pick off the burned flowers now in preparation for next flowering? So, so have mine. And many more. And many more. You're not on your own. So what has happened here is the, the Pieris Forest Flame or any of the Pieris family like Kitsuru um, they came into growth early this year. The lovely 
orange growth came forward, the frost killed it back, but it's perfectly fine. It only sets the plant back by two weeks. So my advice is give it a light trim back. If you have a shears or a hedge trimmer, just give it a very light trim back and then give it a good feed. So again, something like the Osmo Pro 6 or a liquid feed or an ericaceous compost uh, fertilizer around the base of it. And within two to three weeks, it'll be back better than ever. So don't worry about it. And Mary is wondering, can magnolia and forest flame be grown from cuttings? Difficult to grow them from cuttings. Um, you need to have, Mary would need to get a little heated pro- propagator. Well, there's two things you, where you can do it. So you can get your little heated propagator, which is like a small seed tray, but it's got an electric blanket type thing underneath that you plug it in. It's really warm and the cuttings um, root very quickly in that, cover them with cling film. Or you can get the um, rooting ball. Mm, is it the rooting cutting ball? Globe. Cutting globe. There you go. <laughs> the cutting glove. So you can use the cutting glove. They're available in garden centres at the moment. That simply attaches to the stem of the plant and over the summer, the plant roots into the cutting globe and produces a new plant. So that's probably the best way to do it. Very successful on um, magnolias, camellias, rhododendrons, forest flame, azaleas, those, those type of, of plants that can be a bit more tricky to root. If um, that listener is around, I'll be in the garden centre later on today and I'll show them, show you how it actually works. Yeah, not too complicated. No, it's very simple to do. Um, Now, what can I plant to cover a timber fence? Well, some, well, you can do two things. You can either plant some climbing plants, but do remember that the timber fence in time is going to disappear. Mm. (laughs) It's going to go back to nature. So your climber will end up, uh, you know, without support. So my advice is often to plant something in front of the timber fence. So either a selection of shrubs, evergreen shrubs, and they will form the fence or the barrier Barrier. in time. And you can allow the the timber fence to to disappear Mm. in 10 or 12 years time. So I would be planting inclined to plant a selection of evergreen shrubs uh, together just in front of the the uh, fence and cover it off. You could also plant a small hedge if you want it. So something like Portuguese laurel would be quite nice. It'd be easy to grow or variegated. Holly is lovely as a hedge. Something a little bit different. The birds would really appreciate it. The birds and uh, the bee or the uh, fruit in the autumn, the berries in the autumn. Um, so something like that in front of the timber fence. So do remember that the timber fence is going to rot yeah. in time. So as was to make a plan as to what you plan exactly. for to do with the yeah. timber so fences. an ornamental hedge yeah. or um, or a selection of of uh, evergreen shrubs. I think in front of it would Good. be the best advice. Now, a chokeweed in a border. How do we get rid of it? The best way is to allow it to grow, which it is at the moment. And when it's about six or seven inches high, get yourself a glove and put on the Roundup gel. So you can get Roundup in a gel format. You simply paint it onto the leaves, and that will control it. Okay, somebody's wondering about planting a flower meadow over a large area. They've sprayed the area, but they're finding a weed which is white in colour and looks like spaghetti. Uh, Can you give any advice on getting rid of it? Spaghetti? That's a new one on me. So, <laughs> so uh, it's it's obviously string, a it's a stringy kind of a weed. Is yeah, it? maybe take a picture yeah, of it, it uh, and send it into us, and and we'll have we'll a have look at it. it. But look, this is the time of year for sowing wildflower uh, meadows. Jerry Daly actually had a, a great article, I thought, in the Independent two weeks ago, and he was talking about the concept <clears throat> of people going back to letting their lawns become more weedy. Right. So c- cutting your lawn a lot less. Okay, putting up with the moss, putting up with the daisies and putting up with the dandelions and kind of letting the lawn go back, not to a wildflower meadow because a wildflower meadow literally come, the plants grow up to your waist mm-hmm, in height mm-hmm. like a typical hay meadow. But his, his, his concept was that you cut your lawn maybe every three weeks. So you allow the weeds and the moss and everything to grow. You let the lawn grow, become a little bit high, high. You cut it every three weeks to keep it tidy, but you kind of let it go back to a, 
uh, a lawn meadow, I think he a described A natural it. state. Yes, a more natural state. Allow the clovers to grow, allow the dandelions to grow, you know, which are very bee-friendly. So was, <laughs> it from, was it a bee from a bee perspective well, he was looking at? He it? was looking at that and also, I suppose, um, you know, a more simplistic way of keeping your lawn rather than having the lawn manicured. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I know... And I suppose it does come down to personal choice. It's personal choice. I mean, there are people that absolutely hate daisies and dandelions yeah. and will do anything to get rid of them. And there are those that will put up with them yeah. and, and fine and, and they're they don't part see of them. nature yeah, they're part of, the, yeah. of, of course they are and, and like we do know that the many of those particularly dandelions are very very beneficial to honeybees in particular because they're very high pollen so that he was advocating that and I just thought it was an interesting it kind of struck a chord with me I haven't decided yet will I, which, 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 <laughs> will which, I take his advice okay. and do my own yeah, lawn yeah. but um, to go back to the listener's question if you want to sow a wildflower meadow this is the time of year to do that they've done the right thing in getting rid of any existing kind of weeds that are there you cultivate the soil then rake it off put down some lime because lime helps to impoverish the soil and that's actually what wildflowers want and require and it helps to suppress the weeds as well get yourself a couple of boxes of wildflower seed rake it into the area I often think it's nice to plant maybe some fruit trees through a wildflower meadow or some ornamental trees you know so you've got the trees and you've also got the flowers underneath them and of course then in the autumn plant your wildflower meadow with spring flowering bulbs because again, you get the best of both. You get spring colour and summer colour. But this is the time of year for planting wildflower seed. Excellent. One or two more quickly before we finish up. Um, uh, the d- daffodil question again, Porik. Will daffodils that were set in a lawn four years ago ever come back again? There were flowers on them uh, on most of the 20 bulbs were set on the first year. Only a third the second year, <laughs> uh, but only greenery the past two years, uh, says uh, Mary. Yeah. Well, Mary, uh, look at uh, daffodils and lawns don't work together. Because, there you go. Right. because you, you know, you've got this contrast between having to allow the daffodil six or seven weeks to grow and, and build up for the following year and you want to cut your grass as well. And the trouble is if you cut the, the daffodils back too early, exactly as Mary has described, you go from 20 flowers to a third to nothing and just leave. So my advice actually would be to dig those daffodils up from your lawn and transplant them somewhere else into the garden. If they're left alone, they will come back to flowering state again. It might take them a year or two, but they'll actually come back again to flowering properly. Lawns and and um, and daffodils don't work together. If you want to grow bulbs in your lawns, grow the snowdrops, grow the crocuses, um, grow anemones, and they all flower well before you want to cut your lawn. Okay. So, you know, that's my advice is to go for those ones and um, stay away from the daffodils, put the daffodils somewhere else, in among shrubs or, you know, somewhere else in the garden. Okay. Before we finish up, just a quick reminder again. So next Saturday we have the big event for the younger twi- folk. Yeah, on the 20th of April, we've got a fun day in the Garden Centre. That's the next Saturday in our centre in Turlock and Castlebar. It's a free day. It's a day for the children. We bring them in. The Easter bunny rabbit will be there. The chocolate, the Easter eggs will be all hidden around the Garden Centre. The Garden Centre will probably be a mess afterwards. And um, if, if people want to book a spot, 094 If you're in the centre now, book your spot and um, we'll see you next Saturday. Okay, and you're doing Facebook Live? I am, I'm on just after 10 o'clock five past ten, I'll be on Facebook Live on Midwest Radio and we'll answer any of the questions I wasn't able to get to today and I'll be in the Garden Centre in Turlock today if anyone wants to drop down. Okay, fantastic. Porik, thanks indeed for all of that. Uh, Do stand by news on the way in just a couple of minutes time, then Michael Neary with the very best in country classics. I'm back again next Saturday just after 7am all going well thanks to Teresa for all her help as always on the programme until next week good morning to you